Great idea. We'll go multi-level. Condo maximum. Pumba, take a memo. Right. Uh, what's a memo? You're fired. Who cares? Look at the lights. Our newest tradition, the Sunday Drive. Now we quickly get away from it all to the beautiful, carefree countryside. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the wonderful world of W Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 99 for the week of December 28th, 2008, the last show of 2008, and the last show in double digits. Thank you for joining me again this week. I'm going to start off the show with Walt Disney World news, and I'm going to kick it off with a sneak peek at Disney's new website, a new store that just opened in the Magic Kingdom. Of course, some news about food, including a new dining location coming to Frontierland, as well as important updates to dining reservations and more. The weekend of January 8th through the 11th, 2009, is going to mark the 26th annual Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend, where about 40,000 runners are going to test their endurance during a number of races throughout the weekend, including a half and a full marathon. But in addition to the athletes, there's expected to be an additional 40,000 people converging on the Walt Disney World Resort to cheer on family, friends, and even complete strangers. And while I've done shows on training and preparing for the marathon, as well as a recap from a participant's perspective, there's been little in the way of tips and strategies for spectators. So this week, I'm joined by running and cheering veteran Bill Muldowney to discuss the best ways to get the most out of the experience if you're going to be going down to cheer, including the best ways to get around, where you should be and when, and how to be sure you not only see your runners, but that they get to see you as well. In a new Best of the Best segment, we'll take a look at the best affordable souvenir, arguably the best affordable collectible in Walt Disney World. Disney dad Chuck Lionberger joins me to talk about searching for and collecting pressed pennies in and out of the parks. It's an inexpensive, fun thing to do with everybody in the family, and we'll give you different ways to find, collect, display, and enjoy these wonderful little souvenirs. I'll announce the winner of last week's trivia contest, and I'll have yet another contest that looks back at 2008 where you can play to win another prize package. I'll play more of your emails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In this week's Walt Disney World news, we're going to start off with really the most important news since it's about food. And as of December 23rd, 2008, the booking window for Advanced Dining Reservations, or ADRs, went from 180 days down to just 90 days. Now this means that now you no longer have to start thinking of where and when you'll dine in Walt Disney World six months in advance. Instead, you'll be able to start making reservations just 90 days before your desired dining date. This is now going to hold true not just for dining, but for most tours as well. Note, though, that any prior reservations that you may have had will still be honored. So don't worry if you did make a reservation 180 days out, it is still good. Resort bookings are going to remain at 500 days. Lanuba is also going to remain at 180 days out. And I just think that the reduced time for dining just makes more sense. uh, So you don't really have to start scrambling six months in advance to figure out where you want to eat and when, what park you'll be in, etc. In other news, 2009 is set to deliver some very exciting things, I think, for Walt Disney World fans and guests, including the new year-long What Will You Celebrate campaign, the incredibly interactive American Idol experience that we talked about over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, new dining experiences that we're going to talk about next, and so much more. And in the coming weeks, visitors looking to find out more about the Walt Disney World Resort 
upcoming events, trip planning resources, and everything else are going to have a new online experience as well as the newly redesigned DisneyWorld.com website is about to launch. I had a chance to get a sneak peek at the site earlier in the week, and I really like what I saw as navigation is vastly improved. There's a wealth of new information on the site. There's a lot of new features. There's videos, beautiful photographs, and simply just a much better interactive experience for guests beyond just being a planning destination. So, for example, visitors can now get improved search results. They can even direct their own personal questions to the Disney World Moms panel right from the site. I've actually posted a full review of what I got to see of the new site over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. I'm going to link to that directly from this week's show notes. Look for that new DisneyWorld.com website to debut in the next couple of weeks. And speaking of new things coming in 2009, according to some Disney Vacation Club cast members at the Preview Centers and in some of the kiosks, it looks like Bay Lake Tower, the new DVC property, going up next to Disney's Contemporary Resort is now approximately 50% sold out. And according to reports from listeners, it appears as though about 30% of the rooms are going to face the Magic Kingdom, 60% of the rooms, a big number, are going to face Bay Lake, and the rest are all going to be classified as standard view. Now, back to food once again. The Frontierland Fry Cart, across from Pecos Bill Cafe, is now completely gone. And although construction walls behind it are still present, as they have been for quite some time now, now guests have been wondering just what is going on behind those very, very high walls, and it seems that a new quick-service dining location is being built there. Like the Fry Cart, it's also going to be presented by McDonald's, and is expected to offer healthy dining options such as wraps, etc. Additionally, new outdoor seating is being constructed at this location as well. I want to say big thanks to Darren for the updates on this as well as the Bay Lake Tower information. Now, from dining to shopping, the second half of Tinkerbell's Treasures in Fantasyland has reopened from its refurbishment. Now, while one half of the original store remains Tinkerbell's Treasures, the other half is now known as the Castle Couture Shop. And according to signs inside the store, they are the royal dressmakers of the kingdom. So it makes sense that inside you're going to find princess dress-up clothes with sections for each princess, including Cinderella, Aurora, Belle, Jasmine, and Ariel, as well as other toys, jewelry, plush, and whatnot. And a listener sent me a picture of a great prop inside, which is of Aurora's dress that changes color from red to blue as Fauna and Meriwether sort of battle over which color they prefer, just like in Sleeping Beauty. And I like this because this whole area now around Cinderella Castle is really meant for the little princess in your family. And I like this simply because now with the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique being located inside Cinderella Castle, if it's something that maybe you can't do, you can't get into, or just you can't afford, there still is a place that you can take your daughter or your granddaughter or your niece or whoever it is inside the new Castle Couture Shop and still get her to be able to dress like her favorite princess. So that's going to do it for this week's news. As always, if you have news that you want to share, photos that you want to share, maybe about anything that I discussed, please feel free to email me at lou at wdwradio.com or to discuss any of these news items or anything Disney-related, please go by and visit the forums at disneyworldtrivia.com. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I realized just what a big deal the Walt Disney World Marathon Weekend is. And not just for hardcore runners and athletes. Instead, it's an event that draws 40,000 runners from all over the world to Walt Disney World. And runners of every shape, size, ability, height, and experience level converge on Disney in January for a weekend-long set of events like nothing I have ever experienced or seen before. Something that I described as simply surreal fails to convey exactly what goes on during that weekend. And a couple of years ago, I threw it out there on the show that I decided I was going to run slash walk in the half marathon after hearing about what an exceptional event it was. And I have to say that my expectations were exceeded beyond what I could have imagined and really provided me an experience 
that I will never, ever forget. And really, one of my very best times ever in Walt Disney World. And we covered the marathon preparation in depth with a number of guests joining me to talk about training, strategies, where to eat the night before, which is very important, of course, and obviously a recap of the event. But it was all discussed in terms of the participants themselves. And certainly I wasn't the only site or show to do so. In fact, there are dozens of forums and great websites and blogs and resources out there dedicated to marathon preparation and training. But this year, now that I've sort of checked the half marathon off my my personal to-do list, I'm going down in Walt Disney World in January, not as an athlete, which is a stretch to call me that anyway, but really as somebody going just to cheer on the literally dozens of people that I know who are running this year. But as I started planning my trip, one thing about all the websites I alluded to that struck me was that there was very little information for people who are just going to be spectators. And believe it or not, there are an additional almost 40,000 people estimated to come down to Walt Disney World just to cheer on friends and family. So what I thought we would do is, is figure out maybe the best way to get the most out of the event so you can see the people that you're looking for because it is so, so important to cheer on. So this week I'm joined by listener Bill Muldowney. He's preparing to run in the appropriately named Goofy Challenge, and he's also seen the marathon from a participant and a spectator's viewpoint in the past. So, Bill, I want to welcome you to the show. Thanks, Lou. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. And you actually came to me with with this idea, which, like I said, I think is, is so important uh, because there's very little out there uh, about going down to just watch the marathon and it could be confusing and it could be sort of uh, a challenge for the spectators in and of itself. But like I said, you've, you've done this before. You've both run and you've cheered before in the past, correct? That's correct. I did the full marathon in 2006 and I didn't know what I was in for when the day before during a half marathon, I became a spectator for a lot of my wife's friends. She was involved with the uh, Leukemia Society's group and uh, we tr- went around all over, catched the uh, participants actually several times during the half marathon course, and I couldn't believe how much walking I actually did as a spectator. And then I had to go out and do the marathon the next day. It was an experience in itself. Yeah, there almost would be like a spectator training strategy, too, because of all the walking and transportation and stuff. And these are some of the things we're going to cover um, today, because... Like I said, there's not, and you even alluded to this too, there's not a lot out there about, you know, what spectators can do. There's some information on Disney's website this year. They've got some great resources on there, um, but it could be very confusing. And like I said, it could also be very tiring because you're going to be up at or, at or around the time that your marathon runners are going to be up as well. That's correct. Certainly if you want to make the start, but the race is long enough, uh, particularly a full marathon, it, it will go on till. After 1 o'clock, there will be plenty of places that uh, you can catch uh, uh, both races, some of them even during regular park hours, if you'd like. Yeah, there, there are so many different places, and we're going to cover some of that here, um, that you can go and cheer. And it's so, so important. Having spectators there is so important to the runners. I can tell you from my perspective that not just people that I knew that I was able to see along the course that got up early and, and went out there just to cheer us on. But there, there, there's so many people who line the course that are cheering you on. And Disney did something brilliant by putting your first name on your bib. So as you're running along, complete strangers are going, you know, come on, Lou, come on, Danny, you guys can do it. It makes all the difference in the world, especially during some of those later miles. Yes, it does. And uh, Disney also uh, does some other things, particularly on the portions of the course where you won't get a whole lot of spectators. They may bring in some high school uh, marching bands and the like. Uh, In fact, I remember uh, they had a steel band over by the car care center. That was really something different, but it certainly gave you that extra little uh, nudge to keep going, you know, wondering what was going to be around the next turn. Absolutely, and certainly running through the theme parks, I mean, there's nothing like it. Magic Kingdom was such an incredible experience uh, for me, and and I'm looking forward to that experience now as a spectator, to see it it, it sort of from that point of view. But, you know, as a quick aside, I almost couldn't imagine doing a half marathon or certainly a full marathon anywhere else because 
you're not going to get that. You're not going to get this kind of thing with people cheering and the characters and the special events and the music going on the way Disney does it. And that's why I chose to do um, my probably one and only half marathon at Walt Disney World. But, you know, there are, there are so many questions, Bill, that I had that I think you probably have that so many other people have, like, you know, how do I get around? I mean, do I drive? Do I take a bus? Do the, are the buses and the monorails running at 3 o'clock in the morning? Uh, you know, where do I need to go first? Do I have to go to the TTC? Um, can I drive? You know, can I drive? Can I go inside the parks? Do I need a ticket to get in the parks? And and these are some of the things that, that I want to cover. And most importantly, where places are that you can go to try and catch your friend or your family member, whoever it is that's running, so you can see them and, more importantly, they can see you. But let's just quickly talk about what's going on that weekend because there are three races. Uh, we talked about the half marathon being on Saturday, the full marathons on Sunday. There's also the 5K at Animal Kingdom on Friday. Um, we're not going to really talk about that as much as we are going to talk about the half and full marathons. But first and foremost, Bill, we need to talk about how to get around, what time we should start to be looking to, to getting up and getting places. Let's talk about transportation and that sort of challenge that that presents for spectators. Okay. The uh, Walt Disney World brings in a lot of extra buses for that weekend, anticipating the uh, number of people that they're going to have, not just runners, but spectators as well. The uh, transportation will start at 3 a.m., all leading to the start of the races at Epcot. It is necessary that you pick up a bus by 4 a.m. to ensure that you arrive for the start of the race by 6. And there is no bus service to Epcot from quarter of 6 until 7 because of the race start. Right. And and the important thing, too, we should probably note here, too, is this is if you want to see the start of the race that leaves from Epcot. And you can tell me maybe your opinion, Bill. Coming from a runner's perspective, I'm not so sure there's a huge benefit in that from a spectator's point of view. Unless you want to go accompany your runner, you know, help them get ready, cheer them on before they go. Because once they get into the corrals to start the different waves, they're so sort of far away from where you are. And it's so dark and there's so many, literally tens of thousands of people crammed into that. The chances of you seeing each other in the dark you know, with everything else going on, is probably slim to none. And, you know, I would, my strategy was to bypass the start and go right to another point on the race. What do you think? Uh, I think that's a good strategy because uh, the spectators really cannot see the actual start of the race from the parking lot in Epcot. It, it's, uh, it takes place out on uh, Epcot Center Drive beyond a row of trees. Uh, the racers will be available uh they can be seen like in the first half mile after they pass the back end of the parking lot, but you're really not going to get to see the start per se. They do have a big, uh, big screen TV in the parking lot, but uh, I would say you're better off uh, moving on to another location to see the racers. Exactly, and let's talk about specifically the half marathon and basically some some places. You know, if we let's kind of sort of outline the course very briefly. It starts in Epcot. It goes all the way up World Drive to the Magic Kingdom, around some of the monorail resorts, and then comes back. So there's a number of great places to watch your runner um, along that course. And it could be the Magic Kingdom, it could be the Polynesian, the Grand Floridian, wherever it might be. Uh, and again, let's talk about sort of strategy of, of getting to where you want to go. Obviously, I think a great place is somewhere on the Magic Kingdom loop, whether it's in the park or outside. Obviously, if you're staying at one of the resorts, very easy. You walk out your door and wait for your runner at the appropriate time. But if you want to get to the Magic Kingdom, uh, and this is what I want to do, which is the west side of Main Street is lined with thousands of people. And it is it, it is a, it, the most amazing part of the, the journey for me as a runner uh, until I finally was able to cross the finish line. But uh, that's where I'm going to go. So what do you think is the best way and what time should I be starting to look at heading on over to the Magic Kingdom? Well, with the race starting at 6, it's going to be uh, somewhere around uh, 20 after or to 6.30 before the racers actually get to the Magic Kingdom. But the Magic Kingdom will open its turnstiles at 6 a.m. for spectators. If you get there any earlier on the monorail, 
the monorail will not open the doors. So there my recommendation would be to walk over from the Contemporary. But I'm not sure exactly what time they'll start letting the people in. Probably 6 o'clock. But uh, anywhere along the monorail loop will be a good place to uh, see the racers, uh, especially the TTC. So there you can go right over there and park. And the course takes place along the tramway, uh, where uh, the trams normally run to bring the people to the, uh, the monorail station. Uh, they, the course passes in front of the Contemporary, and then after going through the Magic Kingdom, it comes down Floridian Way. So it will pass the Grand Floridian, uh, Shades of Green, and the Polynesian before heading back to Epcot. So any of those places along um, the monorail loop are, will be great for spectators and uh, accessible by the monorail. The monorail is really going to be the best way to get around. Right. And, and I think being in front of some of the resorts like that is is. Good for, for two reasons. One, as a spectator, it probably isn't going to be as crowded as the Magic Kingdom, uh, maybe even affording you a little bit less walking, a little bit more of an opportunity. From a runner's perspective, because the crowds do thin out, the more people that you get to see there, the better, because it really does give you that, that extra little burst that you need. Because now you're, you're really at like mile five, mile seven, mile eight or so when you get around the Polynesian. But you said the TTC, that's a great place, too, because you can go there, you can park there, you can see your runner. Then you just hop right on the monorail and go right over to Epcot, which is what I'm planning on doing to get to the end of the race. Because I think that's really, no matter what, that's where you want to be, to see your runner and to have them see you. That's true. And uh, in, in my case, when I was doing spectating uh, back in 06, I would catch uh, the runner's that I was trying to follow in several places. Like, for instance, you could catch them on their way to the Magic Kingdom from the one side of the TTC and then walk across to the other side of the parking lot and catch them as they pass the Polynesian. Then take the monorail back to Epcot. Uh, the course will, will come over the big overpass and go by the bus parking uh, there on the west side of Epcot. Catch them there and then you can walk across the parking lot to the finish line. So there's a chance you can catch your favorite runner four times during the half marathon. And you will probably be equally as tired as, as the runner is going to be. But I think I think that's actually part of the fun. Like that's something that I'm looking forward to is is the journey and the adventure of, you know, running around trying to catch the people and trying to see um, who they are. And we'll talk before we finish up about how you actually can track your runner on the course to find out where they are. But let's just briefly talk about the, the full marathon as well, because obviously that affords you as a spectator many, many more opportunities to see your runners because it doesn't just go through Epcot and the Magic Kingdom. It actually goes through all four theme parks. That's right. But uh, everything that we've currently talked about uh, as far as taking the monorail loop to the Magic Kingdom all will apply during the full marathon as well. The full marathon course uh, takes... Uh, almost the same route for the first half before heading over to the Animal Kingdom. And I know as a, spe as a uh, participant in the full marathon, I hope to see a lot of spectators at the Animal Kingdom because there's long stretches of course on either side of the Animal Kingdom where there are no spectators. So when uh, I, my wife surprised me back in 06, uh, at the Animal Kingdom, and that really gave me a big lift to help me finish the race. Yeah, we cannot overemphasize enough how seeing those people, especially during those long stretches when there is no music and there are no characters, and it's just nothing but pavement and tired feet and exhaustion setting in, how those people cheering you on, and even if they're not there for you, make all the difference, and, and big, big kudos to all the volunteers and people that just take their time out to go and help and just cheer on people because it, it does make uh, a big, big difference. But one of the things, Bill, that um, I noticed this year that I was very, very impressed with were some of the online resources that Disney has on their website. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's at DisneyWorldSports.Disney.Go.com. But they have an entire spectator resource section, and they have a, an online tool to help you find some of the best places to find your runner along the course. And they help you plan 
really a customized route depending on what your runner's estimated pace or estimated finish time might be. So if you know that you want to see them in the Magic Kingdom, it'll tell you where you need to be exactly at what time as well. You'd put in, so for example, the half marathon, you select the runner's pace, say a 15-minute mile, and say, okay, choose your viewpoints and say, well, I want to see him by the castle so I can get one of those spectacular pictures of them running out of the castle. Or I want, I'm going to be at the Contemporary. What time should I be there? You click it, and it's this interactive map that loads, and that gives you instructions about where to go, what time you need to be there, what mile marker it's going to be, uh, and how to get there, too. So it'll say, okay, you know, go to Epcot, follow the signage to go here, then take the monorail to the TTC on the way back. I mean, it's really, really good. Very, very, very well done. And the other thing that they have, too, that I think is very, very impressive is the runner tracking tool and this actually allows you to track participants with live running with live tracking so what you'll do is you'll be able to put in your runner's name or your bib number and you'll be able to get updates via email or text message so you can have your cell phone with you and it'll let you know hey bill just crossed you know it just passed tony's town square this is his pace this is his time so you know, hey, if I'm running late, maybe I can't catch him here. Maybe I've got to go to my next sort of waypoint on the map in order to catch him. So, again, I'll link those up. I think those are very, very, very valuable tools, and I think that you can actually track more than one um, runner at a time. So, And for those people that are also going to be spectators at the full marathon, in addition to the TTC and the Poly and the places that we talked about by the Magic Kingdom, there are some great places in and around the Epcot resorts that you can go and watch because the runners actually, they don't run on the boardwalk side, they actually run on the beach club side. And Bill, they're coming from the studios at that point, right? That's correct. Sorry, that whole walkway from the studio park all the way through the uh, Swan Dolphin Yacht and Beach Club until they reach the International Gateway at Epcot, I think is uh, one of the best uh, spectator areas for the full marathon. True. And you actually, uh, we were talking, you made a good point about those people who are staying at the Epcot resorts that are thinking, well, I can just walk through the International Gateway, go through Epcot to get to the parking lot for the starting line. That they, You cannot do that, correct? That's correct. The Epcot uh, International Gateway does not open until 9 o'clock as the regular park does. So anyone who wants to get to the starting line before that, it will be necessary for them to take buses. Right. And and again, the, the great thing if you are staying at the Boardwalk or the Yacht and Beach Club is not only are you so close, but you'll be able to see runners coming through. And if you have a you know one of those views, you'll be able to be watching the runners or just sitting out in front of the, the Yacht and Beach Club sort of cheering them on. And uh, I know the, the guy who's won it you know, like the past 10 years, he has some incredible time. I mean, he does like the full marathon in less time than I did the half marathon. So the first runners should be coming through that area at about 8 o'clock in the morning. And if you have park admission, I think uh, World Showcase is a, also a good place to catch uh, the end of the race uh, because uh, that, of that, uh, the course goes counterclockwise around World Showcase. That's a lot of room to cover and a lot of room to fit a lot of spectators. True. And it, it's got to be something just spectacular. Uh, to run through and to watch the runners coming through, and great photo opportunities as well. So, and because you can be spread out, you'll be able to have you'll have a better chance of being able to track your runner and track down your runner. And that's why, too, using that online tracking tool from Disney uh, is so so valuable. Um, Bill, let's just maybe talk about a couple of, of tips that people should just remember um, as they're getting ready to plan as spectators. I think I think the first and foremost one is. I wouldn't necessarily kill yourself, like I said, to get to the starting point. I think if you have to pick one place to be, if you don't want to run around, um, I think the finish line is really it to see your runner be able to sort of uh, meet their challenge and cross the finish line, go to the tent, get their medal. There's great photo opportunities there afterwards. Um, I, I think it's just too tough at the start. And for some people, it might just be too tough trying to get up early and get to the Magic Kingdom and the TCC and run around. Getting to the to the finish line uh, is definitely where I would try and get to, and get there early because that that viewing area is going to fill up fast. That's right, and that's going to uh, clog up a lot with a lot of traffic uh, for uh, quite a few hours after each race is over. So, uh, and uh, there's there's plenty of bus transportation. So, unless you are at Epcot 
with your car before the race, I would recommend taking the uh, Disney transportation and give yourself plenty of time and plenty of patience to get around during that day. There's a lot of people there with the same idea. Exactly. And I was going to say, definitely, if, if, you're, if you think that it normally takes 45 minutes to get from you know your favorite resort hotel to the TTC, double that because it is going to be very, very, very crowded. And we should actually, as an aside too, for those people that are coming down, maybe not planning on cheering on a runner, maybe don't even realize that it's marathon weekend. And we're talking again about from January 9th to the 11th. If you are not planning on going to cheer, um, I would highly recommend if possible, trying to stay away from, if you can, especially on Saturday, the Magic Kingdom and Epcot, especially in the morning, because it's going to be a very difficult time to get around. It's going to be very, very frustrating to you uh, because there is so much going on. You're going to see that a lot of the roads are closed off or there's only one lane. So traffic is going to be much, much higher than it is as usual. Um, so maybe go to the studios, maybe go to Animal Kingdom if you have to, or spend the morning at your resort um, unless you're, you, know, you really have to be there those days. But, uh, and the other thing too is if you are staying on property, again, get up early. If you have any questions, you can uh, check with the, the concierge at your hotel Double check about bus times, things like that. Also, your runners are going to get a race packet when they pick it up. I think on Thursday or Friday they can pick it up. They'll have some additional information about transportation. There is also an online version of the uh, the commemorative race brochure. So if you want to go and take a look at that online, I'll link to that as well. Um, I think, Bill, that, that's pretty much a, a, a good sort of overview, a good primer for people who are coming down as spectators, maybe for the first time or if they've done it in the past and have been a little bit frustrated, uh, give them a little insight as sort of the best way to do it. Again, there's also some great planning tools out there if you want to track, if you want to try and find out exactly where you want to be and when. Um, but, you know, I, I want to thank you first for coming on uh, to talk about this. I think it's a great idea uh, for those of us who have never done it before. I want to wish you the very, very best of luck um, in the goofy. I mean, you are running the half on Saturday, the full on Sunday. I think you're borderline insane, but that's okay. <laughs> so um, kudos to you. And, uh, and I will be there cheering for you, and I hope I get a chance to see you on the course. All right. Thanks very much, Lou. Thank you very much, Bill. And, uh, and, and the other thing I forgot to mention, too, I can't believe it, is that after the race is over, don't forget that if you guys want to come at 2 o'clock, come back to the Magic Kingdom. We're having the WDW radio show meet at the Tomorrowland Terrace Noodle Station. It's 2 o'clock. It gives all the runners a chance to go back, shower, change, relax, take some Advil, whatever it might be. But uh, I, I welcome all of you, you included, Bill, to please come by and say hi. Okay, Lou. Thank you. You're welcome. It's been quite a while since I did uh, a segment that I had started off very early on the show, which is Best of the Best. And we already know that Disney is the very best at what they do. And there are so many things in and out of the parks that Walt Disney World offers that are the very best of the best. And believe it or not, you know, when we talk about things that are the best of the best, the list is not all about food, surprisingly. Uh, and in the past, we've looked at some of the... Well, all right, so yeah, maybe best bang for the buck as far as places to eat, but we also looked at some of the different indulgences and benefits of the DVC and, and so much more. But this week, thanks to a listener suggestion, and I told you guys I read every email and I invite all of you to be a part of the show, we're going to take a look at arguably another best of the best in Walt Disney World. And joining me this week is listener Chuck Leinberger. He is a father of three, huge Disney fan, and he's also a blogger over at DisneyDaddy.blogspot.com. Chuck, I want to welcome you to the show. 
Hey, Lou, thanks for, for having me here. And, and don't worry, this will get to food eventually. <laughs> I'm sure We are going to find a way to get this best of the best around food. And when you it hear will. what it I'm, is... It will only take a matter of minutes. That's right. You're going to see it has nothing to do with food, but we'll get there. But uh, you, you contacted me something uh, about something that you obviously enjoy doing, assumedly with your family. And it's Absolutely. something recently that my kids have gotten into as well. And I think it's something that's so fun and has so many different elements to it. And really, it's so low cost that I felt it deserved to be our best of the best affordable souvenir. And as we talk about this, maybe even maybe the best of the best affordable collectible. And we're talking about pressed pennies at Walt That's Disney right. World. Yeah, pressed pennies. I mean, how how think about this for moms and dads. Can you get away with a souvenir at Walt Disney World for as cheap as 51 cents? Exactly. I mean, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Right, because when you think about souvenirs, you think about bringing home... You know, the Mickey ears or the T-shirt or the plush or, or in my case, the doggy bag from California Grill or, or some type of collectible. <laughs> and and obviously, look, the, the prices of souvenirs range from very inexpensive or even free if you want to collect like fast passes and Kid Cot fun stops and things like that. Oh, to, I always come with a pack of maps, so don't worry. They're, it, they're there, too. So, there you but. go. To, to the very, very expensive. And, and obviously, you know, there's attraction props and Walt Disney Classics collection and artwork and so much more. But... Pressed pennies, and they're also sometimes called elongated pennies or elongated coins, are such an inexpensive souvenir, such a great collectible. It really offers something for the whole family to do together. And Chuck, why don't you explain to people, maybe who don't know or have never seen one before, what the pressed pennies are? Sure. Uh, a pressed penny literally is is just that. It's a, a regular, standard U.S. mint penny that has been placed into a machine and literally pressed or smashed and a design is then pressed into that that design could vary you know in the case of Walt Disney World uh, from all types of characters Fab Five to princesses to any one of the movies that you can pick uh, to uh, pavilions at say Epcot you know each country has their own penny press design to even new movies there's now uh, some Wally press pennies that are out there so this is stuff that's continuing to evolve and Really, they're, they're wonderful collectibles, and, and one of the reasons that, that I like them so much is, frankly, because my kids like them so much, that this is something that, that families can do together at Walt Disney World. Absolutely. And the way, that, the way the press pennies work is that there are these machines. There are electronic machines where you insert the coins and, and you hit a button when you choose your, your character or your design. There's also the hand crank machines, which I really like, the kind of old-style hand crank machines. Yeah, the old-style ones. And they and in look- fact, my, my, if, sorry, Luke, my son loves those. They're the ones that he actually, my eight-year-old son, uh, loves them the most because they're the ones that he'll, if he seeks out and sees that that crank one, oh, he's all for it. He has got to get, and sometimes, usually, there's four designs on the on the crank ones. He's got to get all four, and oh, he can do it as that you know that penny drops in and he starts cranking. Those first couple of cranks are pretty easy, and then the penny drops in <laughs> to get to be smashed, and he's groaning and all his might he can make it i can do it i can do it and then out comes this penny and you would think that it would be a diamond that he has made uh because to him now it becomes a a symbol of an accomplishment you know that that his this eight-year-old had the feat of strength to be able to turn that that wheel and it that's just the kind of stuff that that makes uh, collecting these pennies that much more magical and that's exactly how my kids react like they did it they created it they can't believe this little magical thing that came out after they put their their coins in. And you know what you do? Tell your son there's 2,500 pounds of pressure that's put on the coin in order to stretch it out. That's how strong he is. Yes, he's super strong, (laughs) and I tell him that every single time. So, you know, and another thing that's really nice about these is that while, you know, we can get Disney souvenir and Disney memorabilia uh, at the parks, and you can also get them online, places like that, penny presses, it's something you can only get at Walt Disney World. These are things that you got to get in person. So they truly become a very personalized and and hands-on collectible from Walt Disney World because the only way you're going to get them unless somebody brings them to you is you get them yourself by hand. Exactly. Exactly. And and you can they you can find these machines anywhere and everywhere, which is a good thing because they are in all the parks, all the resorts, downtown Disney, the water parks. So yeah. we're going to, you know, we'll talk about, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, and just how many different possible coins 
You can oh, there's there's more than from what uh, you know. Th there's a great website that's out there. And again, full disclosure, I am in no way affiliated with this website, but it's called PressCoins.com. They have a listing of different designs, and they keep this this updated. And, and as of the time that, that we're recording this right now, there's more than a thousand penny press designs that they have logged in their database. Now, some of those have since gone away, but it's easy to say that there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not more than a thousand different penny press designs. Every single machine pretty much is unique, that they have unique designs to them. And the fact that there's a website with the database and photographs of these things on yes. many sites online, it shows you that this is a this is a very big thing that I think a lot of people might not realize. And we yeah. talk about pin trading and pin collecting. This has many people who collect as well. It also has many advantages to pin trading, obviously because the cost is only 51 cents and you get one penny back. So it's 50 That's cents correct. a pop. You know, so if you even if you get all thousand of them, you're looking at maybe 500 and something dollars. But what I love about this is that, you know, you say you choose a theme for your kids and say, okay, you know, I'm going to try and collect all the World Showcase pavilions or I'm going to try and get whatever. Even if they go out and they get 50 pressed pennies on a single trip, you're looking at 50 little souvenirs that cost you $25. Yeah, really not that much at all. And there are also, by the way, quarter presses as well. So it's not just pennies. There are some quarter presses out there too. The quarter presses generally run $1.25, meaning the quarter that you're going you're gonna to press and then an additional dollar. Uh, and those also are almost become like the, the premier version of, of penny presses. And you know, it's gotten to the point you talk about collecting that Disney has recognized that, that penny presses and press pennies are such a, a collectible item that Disney now builds books that you can buy in the parks. They're all over the various stores that you can then put your penny press and quarter press designs into these collector books so that you can then, you know, set them up, show them off and, and things like that. And right, and the books aren't expensive either. They're about, I think they're six ninety five for the press penny books. Somewhere my, that kids, was right, to, yeah. My kids have them both as well. Um, and and it's they like having their own book and they write their names on them and they go out and one of the things too that Chuck that they love are some of the machines are somewhat nondescript you know they're just large rectangular boxes while other of them are very very well themed especially ones like at uh, Animal Kingdom down at oh, T-Rex yeah. uh, you know so it's very fun for them to seek them out and when they find you know a really cool one they go running up and then you let them you know I let them pick their design and they each get one from that machine so we have right. them to go back and get the next time Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're in many ways a lot like a hidden Mickey in that, you know, half the fun of doing and collecting penny presses is the search to try and find a design that, that you didn't have. Because, you know, as we've said, there are hundreds of them and they are all over the place. The other part of it that's wonderful about press pennies is that these give you reasons to go visit some places that maybe you might not necessarily go to. For instance, uh, you know, going to visit a certain resort. Maybe you take the chance and you, you happen to be in a car and you want to go swing by, say, Caribbean Beach. I mean, there's even the, the moderates down to the values, they all have penny presses. Right. So in the search to try and get these, that's another great example to go out to uh, Port Orleans Riverside. In addition to seeing Yeehaw Bob, another story, <laughs> you can also get a chance to run out and go get the, you know, six or so different designs that are out at uh, Port Orleans Riverside. Right. Or I mean, if, you know, even the, the golf other. courses, even like Fantasia Gardens, I know, yeah. has them as the well. So. Fantasia Gar Gardens has has a couple of designs. So this is a great opportunity to go to stores and, Lou, here comes the food, restaurants <laughs> who, that you. have their own. Ten I minutes told you in. We get the food. <laughs> I told you we get the food. Even restaurants have penny press designs. And so, you know, as you go to, to different you know restaurants, I know that the, on this last trip that we went to uh, in December, that uh, 1900 Park Fair had a wonderful series of, of penny presses uh, to go and get different designs, on, and they're themed to the restaurants. Exactly. exactly. And, 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 that, and I agree. I think that a big part of the fun about collecting the pennies is the quest. I think it's an adventure, and when my kids get their books out, that's sort of the way we play it. And, and look, you can actually get a full list of all the machine locations if you go to any park, uh, if you go to guest relations. Some of them will yeah. even give you a master list of all the machines, and that's fine if that's how you want to do it. So if maybe if you're seeking out a certain theme or a character or whatever it is that you're looking for, but I think you shouldn't get it. And I think when you go to the parks, kind of keep that wandering eye out. 
explore the pressed penny machines um, and, and explore, especially places like Animal Kingdom that I think oh, yeah. it's so much, I, we've talked about this at length, not running from you know Everest to here to there to take the time and wander and explore. And there's some great ones in Disney's Animal Kingdom Oh, there's, sort of there's some beautiful ones yeah. in Animal Kingdom. And and you're right, they're they're in nooks and crannies, so you gotta look for them in order to, to get the reward of the penny. It it requires some, some detective work and some some digging around of some stores and, and uh, restaurants and things like that. So they're not just you know right up front with a great big neon sign saying, Hey, here's a penny press. No, you gotta look for them. Exactly. And it and you know it's something too for kids. You know, there's different ways to do it. If you if you go up to a press penny machine you want to get it for, or if maybe if your kids are older, say, okay, you know, look, Chucky, you, you have, you know, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever it is, here's your, your penny pennies, here's your quarters. You go and pick out the ones you want so they get a sense of sort of value and well maybe I shouldn't get this one. Let me wait, maybe there's another good one somewhere else. Of course they might right get you running around the parks going back to the best press pennies machine yeah really but uh i mean there's so so much fun that you can have with they are they're, they're a lot of fun to to collect and again because you've got to get them in person each one becomes a a badge of i was at this place exactly that's so exactly that I what i was gonna this, say is yeah. the way to do it too if you know if your first time going say all right this is my I, I finally got to ride you know i got the courage up to ride dinosaur or tower of terror get your press penny you know instead of bringing home a fast pass from an attraction bring home the pest pennies and you put it in that book you put them up on display whatever it is um you're right it's sort of like a, your your badge of honor that you did it we did that with my eight-year-old son for the trip we took back in easter time and it was the first time he ever rode rock and roller coaster he came off the ride swore he would never be on it again he was terrified to death <laughs> of course now you know a few months later he says he can't wait to ride it again but at the end of it we went to the penny press there and you know he got all the pennies of, of rock and roller coaster and that became that badge to say i did it Right. And, and there are actually some tips that you should kind of think about ahead of time before you go out. And one person gave me when I was in the park two or three trips ago that was great and made sense. And, and Chuck, it involves food, is that instead of having to go through and carry, you know, tons of change or go searching around for change or going into the stores or, or digging in your pocketbook, what you do, get your change before you go down and get the little M&M Minis container tube. Send me your M&M minis. I will take care of those for you. But there in you there, <laughs> you can stack up two quarters and a penny, then two quarters and a penny, two quarters and 20, and then give it to your child if they're old enough, and they'll have it. They have control of yep. what's in there. They're already stacked up, ready to go, and then they can go and, and collect their pennies. That's that's a great way. What what, what we do beforehand, I will keep I keep sort of the master bag of, of pennies, and, and we're going to get to in a minute about what kind of pennies are best because – not just any old penny will perform the best. You can use any penny you want, but there are some that are better than others, and we'll get to that in a minute. But I keep a master bag of, of the pennies, and then I put you know, add quarters to it. Then each day we keep we have very little small bags that we use that each kid you know gets a bag, and they have X number of pennies and X number of quarters that they can use. And if you know, they want to get a penny press, okay, they pull it out of their bag, and that's what they got uh, for that particular day. Right, and and let's talk about the differences in the pennies, and maybe yeah. you know if you're really into it, what pennies to use. And kids, you're going to get a little education about things like zinc and copper here, probably. Yeah, so. here we go. <laughs> yeah, zinc and copper. You know, most people would would think a penny is a penny is a penny, and you know, to the layperson, that's that's true. But when you really start looking at it, not all pennies are the same. Interestingly enough, and this is stuff that I've I've picked up on another great website that's out there. It's called PennyCollector.com. Again, same. Full disclosure, I'm no way affiliated with them either. They're just a great website that offers some some information in general about pressed pennies, not necessarily just Walt Disney World, because this is a, a phenomenon that's that's all across the country in a number of different places. But coins that were used and coins that were created, meaning pennies, before 1982 were made mostly of copper with a little bit of zinc. Well, 1982 and on, that mixture, that recipe got flipped. So newer pennies are made mostly of zinc with just a little bit of copper. Well, what's what's the big deal? Why does that matter? When you're taking a penny and you're smashing it, you're elongating it. So some of that internal stuff that's not just the coating starts to show through. So newer pennies, if and, and try this next time. It's, it's a great little science experiment if you want to try it. Take a new penny and an old penny. Put them in there and smash them. You'll see that the new penny has these little slight silver streaks that you'll see in the design. That's the zinc showing through. Where the older pennies, 
they'll stay that that copper look now there's some there's a catch to old pennies well they're old pennies so it's a good idea if you really want to be collecting pennies and and smashing old pennies and, and keeping them for collection you probably want to clean them ahead of time this is where it gets a little bit messy um penny collector has a great uh part of their website that's cleaning tips uh, and they give a number of different options on ways to clean pennies from using erasers to using ketchup on a penny uh, the method that I happen to use is one of vinegar and salt. You take just regular old vinegar, pour in some salt, put that in a bowl and mix it on up so that you have kind of a solution of vinegar and salt. And you take about 10, 15, maybe as many as 20 of your old dirty pennies, put them in the bowl, mix them around a little bit, and let them sit in there and just let the, the concoction work on the pennies for somewhere around 10 or 20 minutes. You'll kind of see when it's really starting to work. They'll they'll come out and have, they'll look clean, but they'll look a little dull. So you get to go to part two. Go ahead and rinse them off with just a little bit of water, then make up a mixture of baking soda and, and water to make kind of a baking soda paste. Plop the pennies in there, just buff them up with your, your finger for just a couple of seconds, rinse them back off again real well, dry them, and you've got a nice shiny penny. Uh, and it really does make a big difference when you're smashing it. The difference between an old penny that's that's dirty looking and a new penny that really looks nice, or I mean, correction, a clean penny that really, really looks nice, and that design just pops out uh, when you when you have it in your book. Wow, Chuck, you're hardcore. You're a hardcore. <laughs> well, you know what? Collector. It's it's funny because you know I've gotten in. Yeah, I am hardcore. Uh, <laughs> it's gotten to the point now that when I keep when I do my you know I get change and you know. At the end of the end of the day, you're, you're pulling all this change out of your pocket, put it on your dress or whatever. I'll stop for a second and I look at the pennies. Is this one older than 1982? Oh, it is. Okay, I'll throw it in my bag. Is this older than 1982? And I just throughout the year, you know, up before in advance of my next trip, I'll have this bag of pennies that you know I'll I'll have that I know. Okay, here are you know, good pennies that I can use, and then just clean them. Actually, it doesn't take that long to clean them. Um, this last one, I probably took down 150 pennies. Didn't use them all, but I took down about 150 pennies. And it probably took me, you know, uh, maybe as much as an hour to clean, get all the pennies cleaned up. So it wasn't that bad. But it is, you know, it's it's part of of uh, of getting into this if you really want to collect them. Absolutely, and and th- like I said, there's so many different ways you can have fun with it. Um, you know, oh yeah, it's a lot of fun. What I've done sometimes in the past is I've actually gotten a few pressed pennies, made them, kept them in my bag. And uh, much like I keep stickers with me for, for kids that have meltdown, I'll keep a couple of pressed pennies, maybe give them a penny, and they look at it and, and kind of wonder what it is. Um, you know, who knows, maybe even turn them on to, uh, to start them to collect it. And it's, it's, a magi- it's, a, it's amazing how magical those little things can become. But, oh, it's um, incredibly, yeah, it's incredibly magical. My daughter, uh, youngest daughter, when she was starting uh, school, and really, you know, it's just the shock of, of getting and starting school again, and so you're not really interested in, you know, don't want to leave home, that kind of stuff, got used to the summer. I took one of the pennies that I knew we had a duplicate of, and I said, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of magic, and I'm going to put it here in your backpack. It stays in your backpack, but you're taking a little bit of magic with you, and this magic is going to help you stay brave, work like a charm, went through the day. So it's just keeping a little piece of magic with them. It, it does help. Cool. Now, when I was down a couple of times ago, uh, somebody sort of, sort of half-jokingly asked me, uh, in the parks to put my lawyer hat on and said, you know, I, I have a question for you, Lou. I, I thought it was against the law to deface U.S. currency, to deface any sort of money. A- and that is true. Um, yes, it is. But, but, but uh, right. research has been done and we found out that uh, souvenir press pennies machines do not violate Title 18 no, USC no. sections 331 and 475 because there is no fraudulent intent. So you're not trying to do something crazy with it or, or you know use it correct use it in a bad way so don't worry kids um you, you will not go to jail for from pressing your pennies no but. you will not you will not go to jail disney's got a lot of attorneys and i have a feeling that that they would have would have found that problem <laughs> before putting somewhere around a thousand penny press designs throughout the parks restaurants golf courses everything in, uh, under the sun so don't worry folks this is something that kids you can you can do while you're on your trip Exactly. And adults can do it as well. And like we said, absolutely. you know, we'll finish how we started by saying this is something so much fun for families to do together, any age. You know, it doesn't matter, um, you know, how you do it or when you do it, but it's something fun to do and something to look back on when you get home or, or you bring your pennies and you look at them in your book and collect them. 
It's so, so inexpensive, hence the best of the best affordable souvenir slash affordable collectible, because I think for a lot of people, this is what it can uh, rise to the level to. I'll put links in the show notes to some of the websites we mentioned, like PressCoins.com. That seems to be the definitive Disney-specific elongated coin website. It's a, it's a great website. Absolutely. And I'll also put a link to your website, to your blog, which is Disney Daddy. Dot blogspot.com and uh, Much Chuck, thanks. Uh, Chuck Leinberger, I appreciate you coming on, educating us not just about press pennies, but um, you know, metallurgy and, and baking. Soda and <laughs> there <all this>. you <laughs> go, a whole see lot what, of fun. See what you learn on the WDW radio show, kids. So. It's always about learning <laughs> and food, and food. Yes, <laughs> there, there is food there too. So, uh, kids, don't eat your pennies, they're just for smashing. But send me your MMs, but send Lou the MMs. <laughs> that's right. Thanks again, Chuck. Anytime, Lou. Thanks. Time for another trivia contest. But first, I need to announce the winner of last week's contest. And thanks again to everybody who played over the busy holiday, got their entries in on time, especially the really dozen or so of you that snuck in just under the wire, coming in at around 11.50 to 11.55 p.m. on Saturday night. Good for you. All of you, by the way, got them all right. Let me just recap the questions for you. First was... What large gingerbread structure can be found in the lobby of Disney's Beach Club Resort during the holidays? And the answer to that was obviously the giant gingerbread carousel. Actually, if you were following my updates on Twitter, you saw that I posted a photo of the carousel. So that one should have been pretty easy. Number two, if you walk around the World Showcase Lagoon, listen to all the holiday storytellers and are so hungry after you hear one of them that you just have to go eat something, What pavilion's table service restaurant would you eat in if you heard a holiday story told by an animal? As I said, all of the holiday storytellers are human for the most part. I guess there's some elves and stuff thrown in there, so but we'll call we'll count them as human, but there really is only one animal storyteller, and that is Sun Hu Kong, the monkey king over in China. So the table service restaurant that you would eat in would be one of my favorites, Nine Dragons. And the last question was. Which of the Walt Disney World Resorts lobbies is home to the legendary life-size gingerbread house? And that is obviously Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. And if you paid very close attention, you heard as I recapped the questions last week that I actually gave away the answer to question three. And of course, that was entirely intentional. So good job to everybody who picked that up. And uh, before I announce the winner, what does he or she receive? They get a 2009 Walt Disney World Trivia page-a-day calendar, a copy of the Main Street USA audio guide on CD, and the all-new hot-off-the-press WDW radio show button that you can wear in the parks. And last week's contest winner is Anthony Scaramuzzi from South Jersey, or as we say in Jersey, Anthony Scaramuzzi gets uh, the prize from last week. Anthony, congratulations, my friend. Good job on that. Please send me your address, and I'll get your prizes out to you right away. Now, on to this week's trivia and contest question. And with the new year just upon us, I thought I'd do something that would look back at 2008 and celebrate some of the milestones from this past year, which I have to say, I think was a great year at Walt Disney World for us as fans. So here are, once again, three questions all about Walt Disney World in 2008. Here's your first question. What two Disney resorts celebrated their 20th anniversary in 2008? There's two answers to that question. I need them both. Second, Slapstick Studios opened in one of the Disney theme parks in Walt Disney World. What is that show about or what does that show highlight over at Slapstick Studios? And third and finally, what company as part of the new 10-year alliance with Disney now sponsors... Rock and Roller Coaster starring Aerosmith. And did you notice? Nothing about food this week. Surprise, surprise. Anyway, so what do you win? All right, let's do the exact same thing we did last week. 2009 Walt Disney World Trivia page-a-day calendar, a copy of the Main Street USA audio guide on CD, and an all-new WDW radio show button. 
And you have until 11.59 p.m. on Saturday, January 3rd, 2009. Wow. To email your answers to Lou at WDWRadio.com. Remember, just one winner this week. Remember, it's more important to be right than to be first because I'm going to draw the winner randomly from all the correct entries. So good luck and, of course, have fun. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Bill Muldowney and Chuck Leinberger, who's from DisneyDaddy.blogspot.com, for joining me this week, and to everybody who played in the contest, sent in an email, or called into the voicemail. A couple other quick notes. Next week is show 100, and we are desperately trying to reach 100% of our goal for the Dream Team Project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. You guys have really been doing an amazing job contributing everything that you can to try and help us reach our goal of $45,000. We are inching there closer and closer each and every day. We are trying to reach our goal of 100% by our 100th show. And again, I appreciate anything that you guys can do in order to help us reach that goal. Again, that money goes through firstgiving.com right to the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America to try and help a little child's dream come true of visiting Walt Disney World. There's links at wdwradio.com where you can go and donate. And thank you again in advance for any help you guys can provide. Also in the show notes this week, I'm keeping my offer going for the 2009 Walt Disney World Page a Day calendar. Now just $7. I also reduced the prices of the audio guides to Walt Disney World, both on CD, which is now $8.99, or as an instantly downloadable version, just $5. I'll keep that going to the end of the year. You can find links to that over at www.radio.com to the DisneyWorldTrivia.com store. Don't forget to... If you haven't subscribed or want to get back issues of Celebrations Magazine, you can go and visit CelebrationsPress.com. Issue 2, our holiday issue, is out. We're already working on Issue 3, so stay tuned for that. And remember, if you subscribe now, your subscription is going to start with Issue 3, but copies of Issue 1 and Issue 2 are still available to order right from CelebrationsPress.com. As always, I want you guys to be a part of the show. So if you have a question that you want read on the air, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. And if you want to be heard on the air, call the new toll-free voicemail, 888-703-2171. You know I love it when you guys call in with feedback, questions, comments, especially when you call in from the parks. Big thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Orlando Fun Tickets and Owner's Locker, both of whom still have exclusive specials going on. You'll find links to that in our show notes. And also to Mouse Fan Travel. You can go and visit them at mousefantravel.com. Lots and lots of exciting things, I promise you, coming up in the next couple of weeks, including a few surprises, some very unique interviews I think you guys are going to enjoy. And I'll talk about what else is coming in 2009. So remember to comment on or to talk about the show with other listeners, please visit the WDW Radio Show forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. To catch up on any older episodes, visit WDWRadio.com. Go to the show directory. There you'll get a list of all the shows in order by topic. You can get an idea of some of the things you may have missed that you might want to go back and check out. If you're on Facebook, please come and add me as a friend. We also have a WDW radio show group as well as a Celebrations Magazine group. I'll link those up in the show notes this week. And please come by and get my instant updates daily, usually multiple times a day, over at Twitter. It's twitter.com slash It's free to sign up. You can get updates via cell phone, email, or just from the website. Kind of follow along with what I'm doing. Again, that is also linked up in the show notes. And of course, my friends, Thank you again so much for taking the time and tuning in this week. Uh, you have made 2008 an absolutely incredible, memorable, spectacular year for me. And I, I sincerely thank each and every one of you for doing that uh, by listening and writing and calling and everything else that you do uh, to make this so much fun for me. And uh, I hope you had a great week this week. I wish you all the best and the happiest of New Year's. I think 2009 is going to really be something special. So until next year, remember to always keep moving forward. See ya. Hey, Lou. Brian Rainey from Kansas City, Missouri. I'm just calling from Pop Century. Been here eight days, and I just used my last Hopper Pass for the day and waiting on my Mexico Express. But had a great meal at Ohana. 
Um, 50's Prime Time Cafe was really cool. Like Toy Story. Uh, don't really want to go home, but I guess we got to. So, just want to let you know, Disney's still cool. Hey, and if anybody's coming down for December, they're having 40% off on all t-shirts and caps. So, Merry Christmas. See ya. Hi, Lou. My name is Paul. I love your show. I watch it every week since last year. Last year, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Darren Whitco, a, for, a former listener who won a contest from you, got me started in the show. I've been listening to it ever since. I got my dad to listen to it. He loves it. I love your theme song and how you have a different subject and a different guest each week. Um, keep it up. Thanks. Hey, Lou. This is Jeremy at Fort Knox, Kentucky. We're just calling to say we booked our trip uh, for Star Wars weekends in June through Mouse Fan Travel. Uh, Vicky would done really great for us down there at MEI. And um, wondering, where you going to be at Star Wars weekends? We planned ours from the 8th through the 15th, like the second week. Hope to see you there. Uh, take care. Love the show. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, this is Greg, and I'm uh, sitting here at Orlando International waiting for my flight home from Mouse Fest and uh, just uh, listening to the show with you and Tim talking about the sentimental moments. And I am uh, actually planning my trip right now. So I'll see you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, Lou, this is Doug from New Jersey again. I just wanted to call you and wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and uh, thank you for your show. And uh, keep up the good work and have a safe and healthy holiday. Thank you and bye-bye. Hey, it's Mike Scabetta. I'm driving to uh, Disney right now. It's Monday afternoon, December 22nd, and uh, I take this drive quite a few times a week. I'm getting on I-4 right by SeaWorld, and let me tell you, it's backed up, and this is the first time it's been backed up since, like, the middle of the summer, so looks like a lot of you northerners escaped down here to Florida the sunny weather. And I'm glad to see a little uh, traffic here today. Hey, Lou, Merry Christmas to all the listeners. Uh, God bless everybody. Hi, Lou. This is Donna and Jason Borden from Troy, New York. Just wanted to say it was great meeting you at Mouse Fest. We had an awesome time. Merry Christmas and... Go Jones! 